to the King's Insider Podcast on csncalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham, and joining me as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski, NBC Sports. What's going on, AB? You know, not much. I, I, I hear that uh, the Kings are kind of just going underneath the radar, and uh, yeah, it's been kind of boring. Nothing to see here. Move along. Um, yeah, okay, so let's just get the uh, the basics out of the way. We had a guest scheduled. We canceled said guest and pushed them back to next week because there's too much. There's too much, too much, too much, too much to discuss with the Sacramento Kings who are now boom, the road to 33, 2-7 <laughs> <and laughs> on the season. Aaron Bruski, I'm exhausted. Hey, What's going on with you? Hey, remember it's the road to 47. All right. Um, you know, I, 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 for one, I think we all saw this coming. At least me and you saw this coming. I mean, we knew that this first stretch of games was going to be the most critical stretch, and also the time that the whatever you want to call it, the media circus was going to land right on top of this city. And maybe it happened a little sooner than we thought, but I think we knew that if they went, I think we were saying two and six, three and eight, something, or pardon me, two and six, three and six, something in that ballpark, and you'd start to see the national onslaughts, you know, kind of the attacks on the Kings, and that's exactly what we've seen. And so here we are. And now this is the critical time. This is that 10-game bubble where I think it's either going to work or it's not going to work. Where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, I actually like, I feel like the national media has thrown like a giant, uh, like termite tent over the top of Sacramento and they're trying to fumigate the Sacramento area right now. Um, it, this has just been an overwhelming situation to say the least. Uh, it's something that we're kind of used to. You're used to this emotional roller coaster that comes and goes, the ebb and flow of the Sacramento Kings. But let's start at the beginning because we we're gonna have to do some chronological stuff here. We're gonna we're gonna try to walk all of you through as much as we can without getting uh, you, too crazy. You, you remember the last time we did a chronological podcast? <laughs> that didn't go so well, Aaron Bruski. For some people, it didn't go so well. Uh, yeah, chronological. Okay, so. Let's just get to it. Uh, things have been building. Everyone knows that you know the Sacramento Kings had been losing. They'd lost six in a row. Uh, well, following Monday's loss, they they notched their sixth straight loss, and um, clearly some things were going wrong. Demarcus Cousins had just returned from injury. The Kings the Kings are still playing without uh, two guards, which we'll get to a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, we do have injury updates and everything else to get to. Um, but it was an odd night, to say the least. And to be there, it, again, you get a feel for this team. You know when something major is going on and when it's not. And it just had the look and the feel, even before the game was over, that that was going to be a special night. What did you see from watching the telecast from afar? You know, the the, the this has started right after that second Clippers loss. I mean, the team looked one way during that Clippers game and then went down this road almost immediately. And that's where you started to hear these little murmurs from sources that had been pretty quiet for the last couple months, you know, and, and just 
little things like it's not quite going so well in that locker room. People are starting to get frustrated. And so, you know, watching them, it was very obvious that this wasn't their best self and that something was starting to build. And then we finally saw it this past week. Yeah, it was wild. So I'll just get to sort of the dynamic of what happened that evening while we were there. Um, first of all, George Carl was about 15 minutes late to, to coming out for, for the press. And we stood outside like, man, what in the world is going on here? Now, this isn't atypical of George Carl. He has a tendency to, when he's done talking to the team, instead of coming out and dealing with the media, what he'll do sometimes is go and meet with his assistant coaches before meeting with the media. And then, you know, so we're all, some of us are on deadline, some of us aren't, some of us have other commitments during the night. That goes not just for me, but for almost everyone in the room. We all have something going on. And so we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And finally, George comes out. And I got to be honest, uh, he was pale as a ghost. Um, it was a different type of pale because I, I like to sit in George Carl's seat before he comes out and let the cameras white balance because I'm so incredibly pasty white. And, and George is a very fair-skinned man himself. This was different. He uh, he came out. He visibly looked uh, like somewhat shaken. He went sort of nowhere with his with his comments for a couple of minutes, and I left. I I said, you know what? They opened the locker room. I had already seen a couple of players exit the locker room. I walked into the locker room probably two or three minutes before most of the cameras came in, and my goodness, it was awkward. And you can feel it right away. Uh, it was just, it was sitting there in the air. Something had gone wrong. I can imagine something went wrong, but they had just lost six in a row. So you're going to say, okay, I'm not going to walk around and say like, hey, what's going on, Omri? You know, I, that's not what's going to happen here. You're just going to kind of sit back and try to take it in, try to figure out what's going on. And once all of the other media folks came in, I'm sure they felt the same way. They felt that something was off with the evening, but at the same time, the players weren't even like dressed and ready to go yet. And so after waiting all this time for George Carl, once again, we get in the locker room and here we are standing in the hot, steamy, gross locker room yet again, waiting and waiting and waiting while nothing is going on. You got like Rudy Gay and Rondo talking in the corner no one is getting dressed. No one is saying we're ready to roll. So again, you start to feel something is going on. And then Drake walks in. And Aaron, I, I don't even know what to say. I, I, I don't even know what to say. How you could not know that there was a giant fight in your locker room minutes before and then walk in with a, a rapper and like all smiles like you're hanging out with a guy and going to have, you know, drinks and, and go party it up at in Las Vegas with the guy. That's what it felt like. Like all these owners flush in with like big smiles on their face, like, hey. And the team is sitting there dead silent, looking up like, what in the world is going on? So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take over for a minute because I've obviously talked too long already. I am sitting here thinking of just, you know, an incredibly unfortunate situation because somebody should have notified somebody that that was happening. And I think, you know, I don't want to read too far into 
how that mistake happened. Because I think if the minute somebody says, hey, it's not a party in there, those guys aren't going in, but they just didn't, that that chain of communication did not happen. And maybe that speaks to some sort of, you know, disorganization that's occurring in the franchise. I mean, it could be a simple mistake. And I don't want to speculate that, you know, <laughs> that these guys are, are so blind that they just kind of walked in and and did that. But it looks bad. It looks terrible. I mean, it kind of looks like an an episode of Silicon Valley, to be honest. Like, you know, the guys are like really, really mad. And here come all the owners just lapping it up. But in a way, it might actually be a good thing because sometimes you need events like these, to, you know, to kind of shake people free of these bad habits or or to maybe just kind of shake the situation up to where everybody could finally get what's on their mind you know, off their chest. And that's what I'm seeing has happened. I mean, there's some positive indicators that these guys are sticking together. I mean, in particular, Omri Caspi and DeMarcus Cousins appear to, uh, appear to have a great relationship. Rondo and Rudy and the guys, they, they keep talking about togetherness. And, you know, I've got some sources from outside of Sacramento that are actually quite legit that, you know, have kind of felt like this whole time that these guys might band together almost in... um disobedient not disobedience is not the right word band together against Carl almost as a unifying cause and that's the thing that I think you know as ugly as that is for the owners to come in and kind of have that party amidst that kind of chaos I I think maybe they kind of walked into a good thing having everybody just kind of look at each other all silly like what the hell is going on here yeah, I got to be honest. The guys who are in there that are uh, that are you know controlling the media relations department, they had no idea. They 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 were not. It was an uncomfortable situation for everyone involved. I mean, honestly, I I don't even want to know what Drake was feeling. Okay, this is awkward. Um, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. That's I mean, if ever there were like a a extremely wealthy entertainer that all of a sudden felt like he had done something wrong it was it was that moment i mean think think of it like this though we're right around the corner from thanksgiving you know families have thanksgiving fights they're never at a good time they're never at a good place i mean these guys probably walked in there thinking okay it'll be you know it'll be a little ugly but you know not that ugly yeah okay so let's fast forward drake leaves again there's another 20 20 minute block gone and the locker room is what it is at that point. It's a very, very quiet locker room. Again, not everyone is getting dressed yet. Drake had been hanging out with DeMarcus and once DeMarcus came out um, of the shower room. Eventually, initially, he was hanging out with Rondo and, and Rudy Gay. And then, you know, so anyway, let's just move forward. And I'm going to say this, mistakes were made and and I don't believe they'll be made again like that because I I think the initial misunderstanding of what was actually going on in the room it may not have been completely brought to the attention of people. So I, I'm going to again just I, I wrote what I wrote about this situation and I was not nice about it and I feel that way, but let's move forward. Uh we get to the end of DeMarcus Cousins conversation and of course, in, in vintage DeMarcus Cousins sort of mannerisms, he lets it out of the bag that a, a, a meeting has been called. And some people said a team, like a players only meeting. And I, I don't know if DeMarcus was that clear. Um, but what we did know is that a meeting was going to take place the next day. 
and and eeriness is all over the place because DeMarcus kind of the way he delivered it was almost like once again he was kind of proud that something big was happening and it was like okay this is awkward we don't know what you're talking about so we get to the next day and uh again the weirdness to this situation never quite ended and that's something that once again when you're thrust into these situations we're almost like as media we're we're bystanders we have no idea what's actually happening in the room we're not bugging the room um usually the information that happens in those rooms stays in those rooms we'll get to that issue in just a few minutes but that next morning we show up for post-practice you know media session and they give us karam butler uh they give us vladi dibats and they give us omri caspi to explain the situation of what has happened with this franchise that to me again it it comes across as like really that's who you're going to give us and it's not that those guys have anything wrong about them but karan butler i think he's played 15 minutes the entire season uh omri caspi i gotta be honest with you he's been absolutely spectacular and hasn't had any of these issues he not just on the court but off the court he is he's been like a trooper for this team and and Divots, you know it's good that that he came out and talked but at the same time you know where is demarcus where is rudy gay who again spoke on the meeting that was coming the next day where is ronda where are your core group of leaders and that again added this like element of oddness right yeah i mean it's as odd as it gets especially since omri caspi just joined the kings this year (laughs) which he didn't which he didn't of course but you know why why quiver over the the details Um, the details it's i mean this all speaks to parties that are not happy with each other this speaks directly to george carl's inability to reach this team and the challenge before him as being somebody that's got to change the way he coaches because the situation that he's in is different than any situation he's ever been in in his career. And he's going to have to really look at that. But going back to that meeting, I mean, yeah, these guys are all pissed off at each other. And the the word coming out of that meeting is that they basically all got it off their chests. And, and, and that's a good thing. Um, whether or not it's as disastrous as all the uh, the media outlets are, are painting it to be is, you know, completely up for debate. The uh, the George Carl coach uh, hot seat meter, it kind of fluctuated over the course of those 24, 48 hours where there were some sources that were saying, oh, yeah, he's definitely gone or it's a really high chance. And then r- turning around right after, you know, that saying that some of them would turn around and say, OK, he's going to be here. <laughs> he's not going anywhere. So, I mean, there's they're probably following the up and down nature of what's going on in those rooms. And can these guys settle their differences and, and just coexist? The crazy thing is they won that game against the Pistons. They didn't play particularly well. DeMarcus cousins had an amazing stat line and he looked like he didn't want to be there. And I mean, it's just such an odd duality of a team with more than enough talent to compete for a playoff spot and this one 
elephant in the room in George Carl, who's not changing his coaching style. That's the key thing to remember here is he is coaching as if he still has Pete D'Alessandro around and he's coaching as if all that stuff didn't happen. And I understand as a coach that you want to continue to coach that way because that's the right way to coach. But in this particular situation, he, he's got to earn it with the, this core group of guys that are, that are unified together. And he's going to have to more or less come to them almost hat in hand, I think, and say, look, I screwed up. I'm going to change. I'm not going to change all the way, but I'm going to change maybe halfway. And what, what you guys like to do, we're going to try to do some of the things that you guys like to do, but we're going we're gonna to continue to do some things that I like to do. DeMarcus, I should have never said that stuff. I understand trust is a big deal with you. And I'm going to, what do I got to do, DeMarcus, to, to, to re-earn that trust and, and really start at that basic level? And, and I don't know if, if we've seen that yet. And, and so here we are, what, what, nine games into this whole thing. And you're seeing the, the fact that those things haven't been done. Those are bubbling to the surface. And everybody had their kind of first blow up. Battle lines were drawn. I think those battle lines have been erased. And now they're going to go back into this Eastern Conference slate and, and try to give it another go. But it's going to be incumbent upon Carl to realize where he stands with this group. Because if he continues to try to coach the way that he's coached in the past, he'll be, he'll be gone. And, and that's, you know... Unfortunately, you know, the reality of the situation. Um, so he's kind of got one leg cut out from underneath him right now, or maybe two or maybe even three. But if any of these guys want to win and if George Carl wants to stick around, if they want to win 40 games or whatever, they have to have that kind of a moment because that team right now is not going to play for this guy. But if, if, if he can come forward with that kind of a, an approach, then they will play for him. But, but it's going to be incumbent upon Carl to kind of walk across the aisle and do that. I think he did walk across the aisle. I think that this meeting was a, an eye-opener on almost everyone's part. And I think a couple of things that I take away from it. Number one, I think we do learn that Vlade Divac and DeMarcus Cousins are extremely close. Uh, number two, I think DeMarcus Cousins learned something about himself in that uh, he showed remorse for the way that he handled the situation. He has, you know, even in sort of the postscript of it, uh, he, what did he call himself? Uh, if you guys want to blame, if you want to call me a scape, if you want me to be the scapegoat, that's fine. I'll own it, right? Um, and I was asked on the radio today, what does DeMarcus mean by that? What, what DeMarcus means by that, I believe, I'm, I hope I'm not stepping way out of turn, is that the locker room as a whole felt the way that DeMarcus did. DeMarcus probably did not use the, well, he didn't. He didn't use the right tone of voice. He didn't use the right words. But that doesn't change the fact that what he said wasn't felt by everybody in the room and didn't have to be said. It's it's almost it, it's weird. It's like almost like a point of uh, f- uh, favor for him that he he doesn't have the restraint of the some of the others on the team, and it's bothering him so much that he just is going to erupt. And he but will he was say doing it as a leader, I, I believe as, he was doing it as a leader because all these guys are on the same page. 
he's he's been he's basically speaking up. He's not doing it the right way. He's not doing it in a way that can kind of keep him out of trouble, so to speak. But again, this all speaks to this weird kind of like uh, I don't know, trial by fire or not ideal way of going about things. But they need this blow up. They need to like all this kind of Vlade getting everybody into the room and kind of forcing them to to make up. That can be good, but sometimes you really got to have it out to really get past certain issues. And sometimes you got to be pushed to the brink to make a change. I mean, some to just to kind of reframe your own way of thinking. And so that is the hope for Kings fans is that that's what's happened because everything DeMarcus Cousins is saying to George Carl, that's representative of most of the team. It is. I, I'm going to say at least five or six of the team, maybe a few more than that. It, but it was it was representative of the whole. And DeMarcus sat there injured watching all of this unfold. Everyone is talking. Everyone is, I mean, again, there's a couple of things that I'll, I'll point out that I, I don't, he keeps doing it, but Carl has a way of gently nudging someone under a bus. And, and he does it in a way that it really, really gets under the skin of some people. And, you know, like the other, the other night he, he mentioned that Rudy Gay, again, looks out of shape and that didn't sit well Uh, and it's not going to sit well. And a lot of the guys in that room, those little barbs start adding up. And when they're aimed at, you know, people that you like and respect it, it's just an accumulation thing. And it's funny to me that it only took nine games. I, but you know, even like I talked to when we had Divots and when we had Carl both, I asked them both, I said, do you believe that this group of players gave you an opportunity? Did they, did they buy in or did they let all of this animosity that built up all summer with all of these other issues? Did they walk in the door with that, give you like five minutes worth of time in training camp? And then as soon as it got tough, they really, they they went right back to where they were before with, you know, distrustful and, um, you know, just sort of this, this issue that this team has where they haven't bought in. They haven't bought in fully to George Carl's system. I mean, even Divot said that, that they have not bought in, uh, that they need to buy in, that, you know, it's a good system and he's a Hall of Fame coach and they really should give it a shot. But even that, in saying that, I, I don't believe that anyone has bought in fully, number one. And, and number two, it's hard to buy in because a lot of what is happening with this team, it's it's not just like the offensive thing, he's going to do what he's going to do. But they have specifically lost games because of the the plan coming into the game. And I don't like calling out coaches for you know their scheme, but we've talked about it on the podcast. I mean, when they come into the Clippers game and they take away, we're going to take away the three-pointer, we're going to take away the uh the lob and that we're going to take those away for the entire game and we're going to make you beat us with jump shots and the clippers beat them with jump shots and at some point you have to adjust and that didn't happen and i i feel like other games they've come in with the exact same idea just if you take the detroit game for example the detroit game we're going to double andre drummond away from the ball a lot and we're going to stop every bit of reggie jackson and we're going to make everyone else beat us. And it worked. And so some nights it works and some nights it doesn't. But I've never seen such an obvious, this is the game plan. I, I haven't. 
I, you know, and again, we've had five coaches in my six years covering this team. I've never seen it where you literally can see the defensive game plan within the first two minutes of the game, and that's it. Yeah, defensively, this team is struggling bad. Uh, offensively, it's very hard to watch the system because Rajon Rondo is not a great fit in what they've been running. Now, maybe they can run variations off of it. They're, I mean, some of this stuff that we're seeing is like, Rajon Rondo and Omri Caspi in a pick and roll. Well, the defense isn't respecting either of those guys, but that's like the only action that's happening on the court. That kind of stuff where I think that I think that's where the team goes, okay, why are we running this particular system, this spread system right here, where it's not playing to Rondo's strengths? And face it, this is, like you said on TV the other day, this is Rondo's team. His his fingerprints are all over this, and Rondo is a character that we have to talk about. But We will. The, the defensive uh, rotations are just terrible, speaking to a team that hasn't bought into the defensive system. I mean, the statistics are terrible for them. It's, it's hard to, to, to build a foundation if the guys aren't buying into the X's and O's because they're looking at George Carl and he's doing about half the coaching during practices. I don't even know if it's that. I don't. It, it, I, I was trying to be generous because I didn't know I'm not there, you know, so I can't say but for sure. I, I'm going to say this too. I, like that is one of the things that have come out. I just I just wrote something that uh, I don't know. If it, it'll be up on Thursday night, Friday morning. Um, play, players, what? Here's what Mike Malone did. Michael Malone did that was very important. He helped them learn and he put them into a position to succeed. And so when a player feels like their coach is adding value to their to their night they're going to play harder for that guy when the scheme isn't fitting and you're doing say a third of the coaching and you're a player and there's animosity animosity and you're nudging him nudging players underneath the bus as if you were in denver or past stops where you have a lot of juice and face it your juice left when pete delisandro got ushered out the door you know players aren't going to buy into that and so it's going to be incumbent upon Carl, aside from the mea culpa, to adjust his schemes and to not be so married to a system if it's not going to fit the personnel. So you're going to have to deal primarily with the Rondo issue, which we could talk about. Um, Rondo is one of the most polarizing players I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, fascinating to watch. And but it's basically with it goes like this with Rondo. There's good Rondo and there's bad Rondo. And when Rondo goes bad, because his fingerprints are all over the team in every respect, I mean, it's like you can't, you couldn't wipe the Rondo off this team. When he goes bad, then it just is going to go to trash. But 48 minutes of Rondo isn't fair. And 45 minutes of Rondo, I mean, the last three but games you know he's played so much. And, you know, I think, he, I think he's been great these last two games. Well, he has. And Collison is, is out. And, you know, again, people. I actually think it benefits Rondo to play more. Because the more he can get his hands wrapped around the game, the more he can kind of control what's going on. Well, the more and, he can learn the pieces that are around him. Because exactly. I don't think he had learned all the pieces around him. But let's get back to a couple of things. It, number one, Chad Iskey is doing a lot of the coaching. And some people are within the Kings or, well, I'll say this. Some of the players are confused. Are you the head coach or is George the head coach? That's That's a sentiment that... That we've been, it's been seeping from this team for a couple of weeks. The fact is that George Carl is 
in fact, coaching this team. It's just that Chad Iskey is the one who's sitting there putting it out there. And that has a lot to do with health. It has a lot to do with energy level. It has a lot to do with the fact that he has very little voice left. But it doesn't change the fact that whatever Chad Iskey is saying is basically he he is just parroting what George Carl has asked him to teach and, and to do for this team. And so whether Iski is the front guy or not, that really shouldn't matter. In game nights, I hear all these people, oh, George needs to stand up and yell and do all this. It's like, hey, look, George is in everyone's ear the entire game. He actually said it today. You know, coaches, I, I get away with way more than almost anyone because I have a lot of respect around the league with the officials and I can sit there and cuss at them all game long. But again, it's quiet because I don't have a voice left. He's like, and, and you know, you saw it the other night. Iski actually picked up a technical in the game. He was defending the players. He's the one who's up running and jumping and screaming. Now, look, I, I'm not going to say that this is a perfect situation where you have a young guy basically standing in for a guy who's, you know, basically being the Yoda behind the scenes. And and then the the other side to this is that once George leaves that that sort of realm of where you know, Iski is running a lot of, uh, of everything. And then he walks out and has a conversation with the media and there's this detachment from the team already. That's when you start running into problems. It's like, wait a sec, why is that dude talking to me? He, why is that guy talking about me? He doesn't even talk to me about this. Why hasn't he just come to me with this? And that's where a lot of this disconnect comes. But I don't think it's that Chad Iski is a bad coach. And I don't think that it's that George Carl is a bad coach. I think this worked really, really well in Denver when you had an established team that had already worked with George for a long period of time before he actually had to start scaling back. But now you're thrust into a new situation and it's it's just awkward for people because they're confused. And the last thing you want to do is confuse your NBA players. It doesn't usually work out well for you. It would be great. You know, I, I would just love to see how Denver would react to a potential George Carl for Michael Malone trade because you got PDA over there in Denver. You got all the history with George Carl in Denver. Like, I, I, I personally think that a lot of them would want to keep Michael Malone. He's younger. He's doing a great job. But there's still a large amount of that fan base that's really loyal to that guy. And there's, I know there's bad blood though. There's bad, Michael Malone wouldn't want to come back to Sacramento. There's bad blood all over the place. Yeah, yeah, but I, it's still it's kind of funny. And and anyway, back. I mean, the the important thing with this is is I think uh, you know kind of how how do the Kings move forward? How do they get kind of out of where they're at? To yeah, uh, what do they do? What do they do from here? I I think really they they've got to start playing. It's a little bit of everything. They got to start playing the right guys, for one. This is another George Carl thing that I think the players are frustrated with. Um, I think Willie Cauley Stein needs to see it at least five more minutes a game, and maybe that can soften a little bit as guys start to get healthy and there's not as many minutes to go around. But Willie Cauley Stein is leading this team in practically every category. His offensive rating is a 128. The next closest is Costa Kufus at 115. It's not like Willie Cauley Stein's playing an abnormal amount of minutes. He's playing 21 minutes a game. That's a pretty good measurement. Defensively, he's got the top rating on the team. He needs more minutes. I mean, his PER is actually second on the team. It's crazy. He's highest in win shares. That guy needs to play more. Um, I think they, they need to continue to push the ball. 
um, if they're going to use this particular uh, lineup um, just because Rondo in the half court can grind to a halt. And it's it's something I think you just can get a little bit more freedom with him kind of having those angles to work with and not have the defense so packed in because that's really, I mean, Rondo's shooting 41%, 22% from three, 45% from the foul line. It's another issue with this team. They're not getting to the foul line. That's uh, the strangest thing, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know what in the but, world. This is the dribble drive motion offense. You have to go at. I mean, we talked about. But there's this no last motion. Week. We in talked it. about this there, last week. I yeah, know. there's no motion, and, and when you're when Rajon Rondo is is gonna have the ball up top, and he's gonna take six seconds and dribble, maybe eight, maybe ten seconds and dribble, and there's gonna be maybe one guy coming off of a couple staggered screens, and that's your only action. I'm sorry, you're just not gonna get a good shot. You're always gonna be shooting with five seconds left in the clock, and it's kind of crazy because it's like a it's feast or famine with these guys. Their pace is great. But when they get into that half court, they just bog down. And, and if they have DeMarcus Cousins to bail them out, great. Rudy Gay, I think he's looked pretty good in his last couple games as far as having that springiness back. So, you know, putting it all together, I think George is going to have to tweak his system. He's going to have to take advantage of Rondo's strengths. If he's going to continue as a starter, and by all indications it looks like he is, yes. then he I is. think you're going to have to really focus on how do you make the most out of him either in the pick and roll, but creating this motion that's going to keep that offense from getting bogged down? It is a bogged down offense in the half court. Yeah, you know what? Some of this is stylistic, and some of it is, you know, these pieces still trying to fit together. Some of this is that, again, uh, we've talked about this a couple of times, but uh, the struggles of Ben McLemore have been absolutely, you know, horrendous it's something that you can point to a hundred times and still go i don't understand how a guy that talented is struggling so bad he's confused with his role uh, but my point to him is that while everyone is so so hot on the what is wrong with ben mclemore train they're completely ignoring that marco bellinelli shooting 36 percent from the field and that he he doesn't guard anybody and that the second that you put him in against Detroit once again Detroit came right back in the game the only way that you stopped Detroit in that game was to have James Anderson guarding Reggie Reggie Jackson and so I mean there are some structural issues here I do think that George does side with veterans more than he does young players Um, in McLemore's case I'm not sure that that's a horrible thing Uh, but when it comes to you know Costa versus Willie Cauley Stein, would you like to see more minutes for Willie? Sure, and I and I know that you're you know you're quoting his PER and all of these offensive and defensive numbers. At the same time, he's lost in rotations all the time. He has some amazing things he can do. His ability to guard guards is spectacular, and it really helps in the pick and roll. But the Kings have been dominated in the pick and roll both you know, Cauley Stein and Kufus have, have both had issues. So, I mean, I just don't know that there is any like one solution except for the thing that I asked, uh, I think it was Caspi the other night. Do you just kind of wish that the team would just shut up and play? That, <laughs> that they would just like stop with all the craziness, stop with all the finger pointing, stop with all the, I don't get this guy or I don't like this guy. And just go out there and give it all they have for 48 minutes. 
I mean, that is the question that I often ask with this team. And, you know, while everybody in the league is downloading their their mailbag of, of issues that the Sacramento Kings have and blowing them apart, I, I think that's the one thing that gets ignored, that this team, because it was so many new pieces put together, that they still, they have no chemistry on the court at all. And they're allowing all of this sidebar to break in and not you know further the chemistry of this team and eventually it does come down to it doesn't matter who is coaching this team if you can't play defense if you can't move the ball if you can't work together you're gonna lose either way yeah i mean there's a couple things that i could point to as well like demarcus cousins is shooting 40 percent from the field and a lot of that is injury based but this is not a guy that should be shooting anywhere close to that <laughs> no. at all. No. And that's like the, that's the big difference. You know, the Kings are pretty close to their opposition in, in things like, I mean, believe it or not turnovers per game, but uh, even when you, when you adjust that for, for pace, they're actually 26 in terms of turnover percentage uh, opponents, you know, assist wise, they're actually assisting the same. There's 7.1, uh, 17.1 turnovers turnovers per game from what i can see ranks 30th in the league yeah that's the 26th and and i i guess maybe teams are turning it over against them because it's turning into a garbage fest i don't know um that's, yeah uh, the opponent's turnovers per game of 17.8 is second best in the league so so basically they run even on turnovers it's a, it's a weird little uh dichotomy there with those numbers but uh I mean, it's all they're shooting. Their shooting is terrible, and defensively, they're not getting it done. Demarcus, and that's one of these things where I think I would personally like to see Demarcus Cousins plant his butt on the post, knock the other guys out, get them all in foul trouble, play that game. I think he wants to play that game. The way he was running up and down the court with his Achilles, I mean, that might just kind of save him from having to operate at the top of the key i don't know it's it's 40 is just not a good number for a big man that can get to the foul line 10 plus times per game he should Aaron, be shooting 55 percent. he's shooting better from the three-point line than he is i know from the field. that's crazy <laughs> that's crazy what kind of a world is this i it's but, a it's a strange mixed up jumbled up mixed up world i i think though that you're right about them not having time to gel and i we predicted this this was almost a guarantee that they were going to come out of this eight game stretch of Western conference teams with, I, th- I think we said three and eight would be right on the dot two and eight. Everybody would be panicking and then four and four, everybody be throwing a party. But again, we didn't even have the opportunity to consider no DeMarcus cousins and no Darren Collison. You take those two out. This team is, is they- ordinary. <laughs> Speaking of shooting, Less. Darren Collison at 45.5% and 42.1% from three, averaging 16 and five and 30 minutes off the bench. Yeah. What? I mean, like to me, this is where the Rondo question comes in. Rondo's going to have to figure out where his regulator is at. And I don't think he can do that. And I don't know right now that George Carl has the juice to tell him no. And this is Rondo's, you know, Rond- Rondo is the quarterback of this team. That yes. much is, that much is it's it's just that's the way it is thanks for gonna, playing 48 minutes the last couple of nights we're gonna give your job to darren collison as soon as oh hell healthy. no no uh-uh <laughs> and that's not gonna and so really it's not I happening mean, 
the, the thing with Rondo that's been great, I think, is his athleticism is up over last year. He's getting 2.1 steals per game. He's a monster in the passing lanes. Other than these weird defensive lapses, and it's probably scheme-based, he's been quite an asset on that side of the floor. That actually bears out in the numbers. He's a third-rated defender as far as uh, defensive rating goes at 105. That, if if he can keep that going, and then offensively, you just there's so many moments where you wince, where you're like, why, why did we set up Rajon Rondo for an 18 foot jumper after nothing happened, and that's the part that he's going to have to clean up, and operate like Darren Collison. Darren Collison gets the ball, he goes really fast with it. There's not a lot of you know. And he just gets to the point. He makes his move and he's gone. And and if Rondo could just mimic that, I think this would be a very dynamic offense, a very dynamic team. Um, but I agree. Refinement. Refinement is what has to happen. Exactly. Refine it. And, th- and then they'll be good. Yeah. Okay. So uh, my last issue with all of this, because, I mean, we're kind of wrapping this up in a boat. You guys all get it. We're we're not going to keep beating this dead horse. This This entire situation has gone horribly horribly sideways again and again and we're just gonna you know completely put it out there that you know it happens these things happen teams get off to bad starts and everything else the one thing for me that i just don't get i'm never gonna get this aaron why why did someone go to the press and really really blow this thing up (sighs) That that is the last thing because this is I keep hearing, this is a family. You know, we we keep it in the family. Somebody didn't keep it in the family. Somebody's a rat. Somebody is a snitch, and I don't get it, dude. I, I it's frustrating. Yeah, I, I don't know who might be leaking. All I know is that it's. Well, I don't want to know. I don't want to know either. It follows the same pattern of stuff we've seen in the past where there is a specific narrative that's being driven home by these reports, and that would not happen. It's not like the big lead is sitting here trying to profit off of... But the big lead, who gives it to the big lead? That's my point. We need to draw the the lines, the the dots, you know, cross... uh, Follow the dots and, and see what, you know, what little face they make when we... We connect all the dots because that is this. I don't get it. Aaron, I don't really want to know, but if I'm the Sacramento Kings, I I go back, (laughs) I go back to a room. I close the door and I look at every single one of them and I say, who talked? Because the, the sanctity of that meeting was violated so egregiously that I've never seen it like that. And, you know, again, it's like, Everyone's calling around like, hey, wh- wh- what are you hearing? It's like, I, what do you think I'm hearing? I- I've heard a whole lot of stuff, and I've got a whole you know, drawer full of things I can add to this conversation. But from that meeting, I, who gives out that kind of information from a meeting, which at this point, I don't think anyone has proven any of it like factually incorrect. Yeah, there's a lot out there that, you know, basically it was, you know, mud against the wall, but some of it actually sticks. But it, it just kind of comes back to why did that get out? Why did it get out in that way? I don't think the big lead is like trying to make, you know, money off this story. I think that they got told something and as journalists, they chose to pass it on. 
maybe they didn't know why somebody was telling them, you know, kind of what this angle was. It's that kind of stuff has to end and whatever source that's coming from for whatever reason, you know, if they're inside the Kings organization and I'm not sure that they are, they got to stop doing that. They got to stop doing it. It did nothing but create more chaos. So, okay. So let's get to a couple of final things. Uh, Seth Curry will likely be back on Friday. He will likely be back on Friday, which is a very good thing for the Sacramento Kings. Uh, just because he can eat up some minutes for for Rondo, so Rondo can go to the bench and at least breathe and not turn the ball over five times in the final six minutes of a game because he he's exhausted. Um, that's one thing. Darren Collison, okay, this is one of those funny things. People were not happy with me because I said he was out indefinitely. Indefinitely was a harsh word. Yet, yeah. is he back yet? Do we have a timetable for his return? No, I, I would say that we've reached indefinitely. Yeah, I, you know, unfortunately, and I, I really like Darren, and I hope that he gets better soon. He's a very, very good guy, and um, it's just killing him that he's not out there. Uh, but he was on the practice facility floor on Thursday. Uh, he was getting up shots. He was not uh, running around and dribbling and doing all those things with his teammates. Seth Curry, on the other hand, was playing one on one with. Um, Eric Moreland, who talks a lot of trash and travels a lot when he plays one-on-one. Um, James Anderson and Ben McLemore. I actually saw Seth Curry get up and stuff Ben McLemore on a take to the rim. Mm. So I'm going to say that his ankle is okay, uh, barring a he shows up to the game and everything's fine, and then all of a sudden he can't go again, which is what's happened the last couple of times. And so he, he needs to play. That he is a good fit for this offense, especially so when it's bogged down. I, I think you gotta you gotta hope if you're a Kings fan that he can play. Even when Collison is back, I think that there could be a spot for Seth to come in and, and give you ten minutes a night where he's just flat out going, you know, Nate Robinson on. He's you. instinctual and that's the, something that the offense really needs. And defensively, the little bits that we've seen of him, he's actually not nearly as bad as we thought he was. So Okay, besides that, Aaron, do you have anything else? Yeah, watch out for the Brooklyn Nets. I know their record makes them look like a joke, but you know a team generally evens things out within a smaller amount of time. Um, they actually have kind of been up on the upswing, so hopefully that's not a trap game. Uh, Toronto, uh, they're, they're a little bit thinned out for injuries, so that's a good look for the Kings there. Atlanta on Wednesday, that team's playing real well. Hopefully the inverse is true, that they'll start to even out in the wrong direction and in the right direction for Kings fans as well as my uh, prognostications of wins. Um, Miami has uh, got a thin second unit. Orlando is a tough tough young team, and Charlotte's been playing a little bit better. Uh, hopefully the Kings don't take this too lightly, especially given their 2-7 and seven record. How does any team that's 2-7 and seven take anything lightly at all? I don't know. Because i I got to be honest with you, the Brooklyn Nets, they are playing well. If you lose to the Brooklyn Nets on, on Friday... Oh boy! All of this starts all <laughs> over again. You lose. Hey, Friday's total. a great day for a news dump too. <laughs> uh, uh, and it's uh, a flashback Friday, a throwback Friday. Um, yeah, should be good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So again, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. He is Aaron Bruski. We will be back next week.